Can you think of a time in your life when, when everything seemed to be going great and then all of a sudden it was like the rug got pulled out from under you? I think all of us of a certain age probably have those times. For us, I know Rachel and me, we were in, the, uh, in those brief moments of, of joy after the birth of our first child, Ike, and uh, just what is, there's no greater high, that first child, you, know, you have no way to prepare for what's coming, and he was there, and then almost immediately we learned he was, he was losing blood internally, he was hemorrhaging somewhere, and they didn't know where, and they couldn't promise us that it would stop, that was, that was definitely our rug pull moment, don't worry, he's fine, he's right up here, he's doing okay. What was it for you? Well, this morning we are going to read the story, or the beginnings of the story at least, when it was David's turn to have the rug pulled out from under him. When we last saw David, David and his men had just, had just gotten out of a very tight spot. Quickly, Here's that story. Back in chapter 27, David had decided he could not run away from King Saul one minute longer. So he ran away from Israel. He moved, he sought asylum from the Philistines. He moved into Philistia. He was granted asylum. He and his men got to live for 16 months in relative safety. But they also sort of took on the lifestyle of pirates. They started attacking neighboring people groups, bands of these nomadic folks, stealing all their stuff, murdering all the people, and then lying about it to the Philistines, telling the Philistines that he was actually attacking Israelite settlements to ingratiate himself to the Philistines. And that worked. But it worked a little too well, that deception. Because in last week's passage, as we saw, the Philistines, they took David and his men and put them in the regular Philistine army as it prepared to go attack Israel. And suddenly, David and his men were in this really hard place. We can't go fight against Israel, but we also can't let the Philistines know we've been lying to them for a year and four months. How are we going to get out of this? And we saw last week, they were just dismissed from the Philistine army. They simply got out of it. So where we pick up this morning, David and his men have to be skipping their way back home to Ziklag. Right? It's a three-day march. So they had to march three days to get to where the army was. They had to march three days back. But they have to be almost whistling zippity-doo-dah on the way home. Can you believe how we just got sent home? We didn't have to go fight against our own people. We didn't have to try to trick the Philistines. They just told us to go home. Isn't this awesome? We're going to get home. We're going to see our families. We're going to get some rest. They have no idea that the rug is about to be pulled out from under them. This morning, we're going to read just the first eight verses of 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to see the rug pull moment and then see David's just very initial response. 
We'll see what you and I can learn from that. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 30, the first eight verses. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. When David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and daughters had been kidnapped, had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Verse 5. Now David's two wives have been taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because, his sons, because of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. And so Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band of raiders? Will I overtake them? And God said to David, Pursue, for you will certainly overtake them, and you will certainly rescue everyone. So David and his men, there they are, the long march home. They're ready to be there to see their wives and their children and to rest. Only when they get back to Ziklag, it's burned to the ground and it's empty of people. While they were gone, some Amalekites came, we are told. David wouldn't have known this at the beginning, but he'll learn it later in the chapter. Some Amalekites came, burned the place to the ground, and kidnapped all of their wives and children. Presumably, this is retaliation because David's been attacking and killing Amalekites for 16 months. They don't kill anyone. They, they, they take them hostage captive. These are going to be bargaining chips. They're going to be sold into slavery or something even worse. In verse 4, we read this just heart-wrenching. These strong men of war, all they can do is just rage cry until they have no strength left to even do that. Now at that point, where these men, they're they're surrounded by the smoldering remains of what has become their home, they have no possessions, they have no loved ones left, they literally have nothing, and if David thought at that point this can't possibly get any worse, he's wrong, because then his men start to decide that this situation is David's fault. Now he's got a mutiny on his hands. Some of the men want to stone David to death because they blame him. I'm not saying that they are correct, that it's David's fault, but I am saying the argument is pretty easy to make. 
it would go something like this. If I were one of David's men and I wanted to blame him that my wife and my kids are gone, it would go something like this. I knew we shouldn't have been attacking those Amalekites. That was David's idea. The Amalekites, whoever did this, wouldn't have done it if they weren't so angry at us for what we've been doing. Also, we would never have left our wives and children undefended except the Philistines made us go sign up for their army. Why did that happen? Oh, I know. Because David was lying to them for the last 16 months. What happened to the man after God's own heart? That's who I signed up to follow. But that's not who we've been following. David's sin is what has led us here. Uh, that's a bad day. That is getting the rug pulled out from under you. How's David going to respond to that? Let's read it. Verse 6. The second part of verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod. David inquired of the Lord and asked God, shall I go chase whoever did this? God says, yes. These verses right here, especially the second part of verse 6 and verse 7, these verses signal a change in direction in David's life. We're told David strengthened himself in the Lord, but we're told that, that he uh, inquired of the Lord. You know, David hasn't inquired of the Lord since chapter 23. He's had everything he needed to. He's had plenty of reason to, but he hasn't. Do you realize David hasn't even mentioned the Lord since chapter 26? What was it that caused this change of direction in David's life? Incredibly intense pain and severe loss. You know the old saying, God will never give you more than you can handle? You familiar with that? I want to encourage you not to believe it, like not for a minute. It's not in the Bible. It's not terribly biblical. I think David is a good illustration of that. Do you think at any time over the last 10 chapters of David's life and all the things we've seen him go through, has David gotten to any point where he thought, I don't think I can handle this anymore? Yeah. If he hadn't gotten there before, and he has, I'll bet he got there today. See, the truth is, 
God will very often allow circumstances into our lives we know we can't handle. Because sometimes it's the only time we will actually turn toward the one we know can. That's what happens to David in this passage. David has been at the point where he thinks, I can't handle this anymore. We just talked about it. In chapter 27, David got to the point where he said, I can't handle being chased by King Saul anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't last one more day. What did David do when he got to the point where he couldn't handle it anymore? Did he strengthen himself in the Lord? Did he inquire of the Lord what he should do? No. You know what he did? He thought, I don't care what God says. I can figure out some ways that will make my circumstances better than they are right now. And I'm doing that. He strengthened himself in the Philistines. He strengthened himself in any way he could make his circumstances better. And look where that's got him. Again, I've said this a lot lately, but it continues to be true. We cannot control the consequences of our sin. We think we can. We can't. But this time, this time, God removes everything else. And that allows David to get to the point where uh, I can't handle this and I have nowhere else to turn but toward God. God allows everything else David has to be taken away so that God is all David has left so hopefully David will remind himself, oh yeah, and that's actually enough. Why did I ever leave? But I want you to notice something very important in these verses that we're really going to spend the rest of our time talking about. I want you to notice the, the timing of when David got strengthened. David, we're told, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And whatever that means, I want you to know that it happened before God told David he was going to get all his stuff and all his people back. Isn't that true? David strengthened himself in the Lord when everything was lost. And he had no guarantee his circumstances were going to get any better. That seems important to me. Is there a way? Is this just for David? Or is there a way that, that you and me, when the rug gets pulled out from under us, is there a way we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord regardless of what God does with the circumstances in the future? I think there is. Is there a way, while we're still waiting for the pathology report, when, when the expectant mother 
hasn't felt movement in a while. When we don't know if our prodigal is ever going to turn around. Is there a way to strengthen ourselves in the Lord when we don't know if it'll ever get better? Well, I hope so. Because sometimes in this earth it doesn't. So even though we've kind of been going through this book a chapter at a time, I thought it most prudent to just stop right there. I spend some time just thinking about how, how do we do this? You may not need this today. You might need this today. If you don't need this today, write this down. You're going to need it. You might be going through a rug pull situation in your life right now. If you're not, we're on, you're on the clock, Right? So what if we, I thought, what if we had some guidelines that we could write down, call up later when that rug gets pulled out from under us and we just don't know if it's ever going to be better? Do we just have to wait and see, hey, if my circumstances improve, I can feel better. If they don't, well, there's got to be something better than that, right? David found something. Because when David strengthened himself in the Lord, he had nothing and no one. What I'm, what I'm going to present to you here in some steps, is not, this is not the complete list of what to do when life falls apart. But it is some things I think we must do if we want to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Find strength from Him when when we don't have anywhere else to turn. We're going to start right here. How do I strengthen myself in the Lord when the rug gets pulled out on me? I think we need to start right here. Step one. I need to admit that I tend normally to strengthen myself with lesser things. I have to admit that I tend to strengthen myself with lesser things than the Lord. This is kind of a prerequisite. This is kind of me dealing with me, though I need to take this to the Lord also. Because when we find ourselves in some unspeakably difficult situation, isn't this going to be true? One of these rug pull moments where I'm just kind of at the end of myself, what is happening is that God is either allowing or it looks like it's threatening to allow me to lose something that I normally get a lot of strength or joy or hope from. Isn't that true? I mean, the reason either I'm so scared or the reason this hurts so badly is because what's been taken away or what might get taken away, I get a lot of hope and a lot of joy and a lot of strength from those things. And listen, I'm not being critical. I'm not even saying that's wrong. It's not wrong. It hurts when we lose stuff where we get strength and hope and joy from, right? If we don't, it doesn't hurt, right? If you lose something that brings you no joy, gives you no hope or no strength, you won't care that you lost it. 
right? I, I'm not criticizing. So I get a ton of strength and joy from, from Rachel, my wife, and from our marriage. I get a lot of strength, joy, and hope from our kids. I get a lot of strength, joy, hope from this job, from you as a church. Now, God forbid, but could God take any of those things away from me? In a heartbeat. Would it hurt? I can't even tell you, and I don't want to find out. It's not wrong to be, to, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, to find joy in the good things God has given us, right? But everything else besides God himself, everything else in its current state on this world, in this world, everything else is temporary and fragile. And when stuff we have always gotten our strength, our hope, and our joy out of get taken away, it hurts. I used to say this one all the time, still true. That's where anxiety comes from. Anxiety comes from knowing I can lose something that I put my hope in. Now, if we don't do this, if we don't admit the reason this hurts is because that's where I've been getting my strength, my hope, my joy. If we don't recognize and admit to God, if I don't take this to the Lord, God, here's why this hurts. I don't even want to talk about this, but I used the illustration already. But I've always gotten so much joy and strength from Rachel, and now she's gone. If I'm not willing to admit that's where that was, I can wind up sort of holding God hostage, like you either bring her back, make her better, or I'm sort of out. I've got to first, I've got to be, before I can strengthen myself in the Lord, I'd better recognize what I usually, where I usually try to get my strength from that ain't him. Because I love Rachel. She ain't God. Okay? Step one, I got to admit where I try to get my strength from that's not God. When I do, step two, I have got to recognize that in spite of what has just happened or what might happen or what could happen, God has not and will not remove my ultimate source of strength. Here's why this one's so, this is so important to write this down and convince ourselves this makes sense right now. While we're, right, we're in here, we're safe, we're in church. We gotta, before we're in the pressure cooker, before the rug has been pulled out from under us, we gotta write this down and convince ourselves this makes sense. Because later it might not make sense. Here's what I mean. Would you agree this is true? If God took someone and allowed everything that person had to be taken away from him or her, but God gave himself to that person, that's actually an excellent trade. Is that true? 
It is. If God took everything from me but gave, him, gave me him, I have more with God than I had with everything else. See, it makes sense now. <laughs> but it might not later. See, that's what happens to David right here. David, uh, you ever see Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You remember that game show? Old Regis Philbin. Regis would have that person in the pressure cooker asking him uh, multiple choice questions, right? When they were stumped, they had these little cheats, these little helps, right? One of them was called the 50-50. Do you remember the 50-50? What you could do, you have four multiple choice answers. If you use the 50-50, two of them, two of the wrong answers disappear. It's a great help. David, I'm going to combine this with step three, I think. Now, I'll wait on that. I'll wait on that. David's had all of the wrong answers removed. He didn't just get a 50-50. Where is David going to go for strength at this point in his life? You know what David's been using to try to get his strength? Like uh, pillaging, lying about it, right? Running away from God and God's plans. Where's David going to go for strength now? His family, they're gone. His possessions, they're gone. His men, they want to murder him. So what God does, there's only one right answer left. And David has no choice but to admit, God, I admit where I used to try to, where I have been trying to get my strength from wasn't you, and I know you are still there. And you are enough. The ultimate source of my strength is still there. So David strengthens himself in the only place he has left. God was all David had. And God was enough. Other illustrations of this from the Bible. You know the story of Job? Um, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but let's do Job 1 quickly. Job 1, we get this sweet, uh, this cool picture of the throne room of the universe, God's throne room. And apparently Satan was summoned to appear up there. And God says to Satan, hey, what have you been doing? As if he didn't know already. But he asked, what have you been doing? And Satan says, oh, just been roaming to and fro along this earth you created, checking in on all those scumbag human beings you created. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. God says, scumbags? They're not all bad. You considered my guy Job? Job's a pretty good dude. Satan says, well, of course. You give that guy everything a human could ever want. Right? He's super wealthy. He's got a great family. He's got a beautiful marriage. All right, forget that part. He really doesn't have that. His wife was, if you know the story. But everything else he's got. 
And Satan says, tell you what, God, you let me take everything from that guy. He'll curse you to your face. God says, let's try it. Let's do an experiment. At this point in the story, God gives Satan permission to only touch Job's stuff. You go take away everything he has. We'll see how he responds. You know how Job responded? Um, everything is taken away from Job. I'll wait on that. Everything's taken away from Job. All of his livestock, thousands and thousands and thousands of head. They're killed in separate events on the same day. All of his servants are killed except for a few straggling survivors to give the reports. And then Job learns, hey Job, all your kids were in the same house. A storm blew in. The house collapsed. All your kids are dead. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. Intense pain, intense mourning is what that's the signal of. But he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came into this world. Naked I'm going out. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Okay, what? You see what Job said there? Here's what Job said. I came into this world naked with nothing. You know how I'm going to leave this world? The same way. Now, in between those two times, if God gives me more stuff than nothing, I'm going to talk good about God. Bless Him. Praise Him. But you know what? If God takes some of that good stuff away, I'm still going to talk good about God. Bless Him and praise Him. How can someone like, be like Job and have the strength to do that? There's only one way. If you understand, I cannot have taken from me more than I've already been given. God can never take from me more than I've been given. Job could be that way because even in his primitive ancient understanding, Job knew, I have been given God. I have everything for all of eternity. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have infinity stuff for eternity long. And whatever happens in that brief little blip of time from when you came into this world until you leave it does not change at all your, your eternal state. That's why God gives, I talk good about him. God takes away, I still talk good about him. How can you? Because my ultimate situation has not changed. I've been given far more from God than he could ever take away. He hasn't removed my ultimate source of strength. One more illustration, William Sangster. Uh, he was an important preacher in England in like the 1950s. One time, a little girl in his church, doctors had figured out, she was in the hospital, doctors had figured out she was going blind and it was irreversible. No one had told her. So someone called up William Sangster, uh, hey, pastor, could you go tell my little girl she's going to be blind for the rest of her life? I'm busy that day, by the way, if you, uh, 
I'm kidding. I would do it. Um, he didn't know what to do. He walks into this little girl's hospital room. And he says, he writes that he tried small talk. Now, she was young. She was going blind, but she wasn't dumb. They didn't call the pastor in here to give me the good news. So she stops him. And according to William Sangster, she says this. All of a sudden, she says, I think God is going to take my sight away from me. He took a deep breath, and you know what he said to her? He said, don't let him. She said, I think God's going to take my sight away from me. And he said, don't let him. Give it to him. He encouraged her to make this her prayer. Father, if for any reason known to you, I must lose my sight, I will not have it taken from me. I will give it to you. That's refusing to gain strength from anything except the true source. That's saying, I've always, I didn't even realize how much strength that I was receiving from my ability to see from a healthy body. But God, if it's got to go away, my main source of strength hasn't gone anywhere. So open-handedly, I will give this to you, though it hurts like crazy. That's admitting I tend to strengthen myself with other things and realizing my ultimate source of strength hasn't moved. Third, if we're going to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we had better figure out how to see grace even during this pain. It's kind of easy to see in David's story. What was David's greatest problem at this point in his life? David's greatest problem was not that his wives were gone, that his children were gone, and that his men wanted to kill him. What was David's greatest problem? The trajectory of his life was away from God, and he doesn't need anything worse than he needs God. So God, in taking all the wrong answers away except for one, is actually being gracious to David. Sometimes this is really painful grace, but sometimes God does this. Sometimes God allows stuff in our lives that sort of leaves us no other choice because I can't do this, I can't handle this. And so we have to run and climb up on our heavenly daddy's lap and just say, I got to turn this over to you. Listen, if we ever get there, it's grace. However we get there. Whatever God allows in my life that pushes me, that makes it more likely that I pursue Him, more of Him, and less of this other rot, whatever He has allowed that gets me there is grace. If we want to do what we're talking about, when the rug gets pulled out, if we want to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, listen, we can't strengthen ourselves in the Lord while we're giving Him the stiff arm at the same time. And if we can't figure out how to see some grace in what he has allowed, we won't strengthen ourselves in the Lord because we won't go near him because we won't trust him. We'll blame him. 
We can't blame God and be strengthened by him at the same time. So we've got to admit that we tend to strengthen ourselves with lesser things. We have to recognize God is our main source of strength and he hasn't gone anywhere. And we have to figure out how to see some grace during this pain. We focus on the man of sorrows hanging on a cross. We focus on, God, if nothing else, I know you will hold me, and that's your grace. And fourth, set your heart on ultimate rather than temporary salvation. Set your heart on ultimate rather than temporary salvation. I would be remiss if I don't mention there is no ultimate salvation for any of us apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing I'm saying in this sermon is going to do you a bit of good, ultimately. If you don't believe that your ultimate salvation comes only through believing that what Jesus did at the cross was take the punishment you actually deserve from God for your sins. But when we get there, when the rug gets pulled out from under, if it, when it's our turn to, to wait for the diagnosis, we've gotten the diagnosis, whatever it is, if we're going to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we have to make sure we set, we fix our hearts on our ultimate salvation rather, on God, rather than on God's ability to fix the situation. We can't hold God hostage. You've got to fix this. Redeem this. You've got, uh, you got to undo this. Or else I guess we're done here. That will happen in our hearts if we don't do this. And again, these, these are good things usually that are being taken from us. Not sinful things. God will not step in and save the day every time. But praise God, this is temporary. And like Paul said, no matter what awful stuff we go through down here, it's not even worth comparing to what we have to look forward to us to at some point. It can't get as bad down here as, as, as it's going to get good up there. Do you believe that? When the rug gets pulled out from under, you better fix your heart there. And then we'll pray together. I'll come over. We'll, I'll put my arm around you. We'll hold hands and we will pray, God, fix this. But praise God, we know you will. Right? If it's me, if I'm laying sick in the bed, Rachel can pray, God, I know you're either going to heal him or you're going to heal him. You're either going to restore this or you're going to restore this. You're either going to make this good or you're going to make this awesome. Thank you. But we're praying like mad that you don't take my spouse home today. Right now. But we're going to set our hearts 
on our real living hope. Fifth, we are going to embrace, embrace God's power and my weakness. God took David to this incredibly and painful place, to a point of complete helplessness, until David realized what was true all along. Apart from God, I can do... Apart from God, I can do nothing. Nothing. Sometimes when we get driven to the point of weakness... It just makes us understand what's true all along. Turns out I'm not in control here. And sometimes the best that will happen when the rug gets pulled out from under us is God, will you use your power to show me what you want me to do in my weakness with the days I have left, with the strength I don't even have, your power through my weakness. What God will always do is let us borrow his power to do what he wants in the situation we're in. Even if the only thing we have left to do is die with a bit of dignity or hold the hand of the one who is. We have to embrace God's got all the power and embrace our own weakness and our only desire is to use God's power to show his glory in whatever circumstances he allows. And then fine, finally, when the rug gets pulled out from under us, how do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Well, we need to pray all these things. You can ignore the Ephesians thing for one second. We'll get there. But I think I want to take this list next time this comes for me and just pray, God, I never knew how much strength I got from my healthy body, from my living spouse, from whatever it is. I know that's less than you. I'm turning to you because you have not changed, left, turned. You're not on vacation or asleep and you will strengthen me. I want to talk to God about how I see his grace in this situation, even if the only gracious thing I can see is this isn't going to last forever and heaven is. I want to set my heart on that ultimate salvation. I want to focus on God's power. Not my circumstances or my ability to get out of this. God's power and my weakness and being okay with that. I want to pray all of those things. And then I want to encourage you to open Ephesians chapter. You don't have to do it now. It's going to be on the screen. But pray Ephesians chapter 3 personally. Ephesians, these verses is a prayer that Paul writes to a group of people in a town called Ephesus. Change the pronouns. I think God's okay with it. It'll look like this. When the rug gets pulled out from under us, and this will be our closing prayer this morning. I open Ephesians 3, start in verse 14. I pray this and paraphrase it if you want. Right? For this reason, here's why I kneel before you, Father. Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of your glorious riches you would strengthen me 
with your power through your spirit in my inner being. Stop for one second. The rug has been pulled out from under you. I can't do this anymore. I don't know if I can survive. Please make this stop. Here's my prayer. God, would you give me some of your strength and your power to just keep putting one foot in front of the other? 17, so that Christ might dwell in my heart through faith, and I pray that I, being rooted and established in love, that I may have power, together with all your people, to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Here's what you're praying there. God, I know you still love me today more than as much as you did yesterday before this happened. Would you help me to understand what's impossible to understand how much you love people like me even right now? So that I might be filled to the measure of all your fullness, O God. And now to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all I ask or imagine according to your power that's at work within me, to you be the glory from my life through this time, during this season, and forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's our, that's our six things. I tend to strengthen myself with lesser things, God. You haven't moved and you are my strength. I want to seek grace during this time. I want to seek, set my heart on ultimate salvation. I want to focus on God's power and my weakness and not try to get uh, those things mixed up. I want to talk to him about those things and then I would surround myself with other people who will do it with me. God, I said that was our closing prayer a second ago, but sorry. I don't know who among us will be the next to walk through something like this when the rug gets pulled out. But we will all have our turn. Thank you that you will love us just as much then as you do now. Thank you that your power is made perfect through our weakness. Help us to uh, hold one another's hands and walk through this together. Uh, that you might be glorified in our pain. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just stand up and we will finish our time.